Well, good morning, everyone. I, I'm mostly over my bronchitis, so I'm not contagious. It is good to see you, and um, I've been blessed by preaching these last couple of weeks as we've begun our study in the book of Joshua, if you'll find Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Tonight, uh, we have a really important members meeting. If you're a member here, uh, please come. The important time that we gather this evening. Looking forward to being with you. And if you're visiting, thanks so much. It's great to see so many guests here to Open Door. I hope you keep coming back as we study these books, Joshua through Ruth. I've entitled this series, A Kingdom Without a King. And you'll understand that more as time goes on. This morning, I want us to think about memories. Memories. So as, as you look back on your life, what are the things that you cling to? As you look back on your life, what are the milestones, the memories that you have? Now, do those memories help you to understand your future? And what do they tell you about your future? You see, there's something amazing about memories and, and how they shape us, how they give us a, a framework for how we interpret our lives and, and how we interpret the lives of others. Without memories, we're doomed to repeat the failures and the mistakes of our past. And when it comes to our faith, memories are vital to who we are and what we believe. And, and everybody has their own interpretation. I, I love it when my older children get together and they're recalling past events because each child has a, their own interpretation of, of what happened in the past. And they all love to put themselves at the center of the story and they love to be the martyr of the story. And all the other brothers and sisters were bad and, and abused them and mom and dad didn't care and they were just, oh, woe is me and, and look how I survived, right? And, and, and we all kind of tend to have that self-centered outlook on the universe. Our memories shape us. They, they inform us. And one, one of the things about memories is that certain memories fade while others stay. And that's going to be vital, really, for who you are, especially as a person uh, who has faith, because the memories that you choose to cling to are going to be really important. Now, you know how this goes. There are some things that happen in your life, and when they happen, you feel like this is the most dramatic thing that's ever happened to you, and, 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 and your life will never be the same, or you'll never get over it. And, and for some of you, those are very serious matters, and you may still be struggling with them today. And I hope that you will continue to work through it by God's grace and, and get counsel if you need as well. You know, for me, it, I look back and there were some things that at, at some point I thought were monumental and they, gosh, they weren't. I remember not making a certain athletic team. I thought my life was over. I, actually, I remember when, uh, when I was a pre-med student, I was not, I was struggling in my faith pretty seriously. And, you know, my whole world was get to a good medical school and, uh, and then, you know, you'll be fine. And so I was, I was applying to medical schools and I was getting some acceptance letters, but there were certain schools I really wanted to get into. 
And, and so I needed to um, take the medical college admissions test called the MCAT back in the day. And then depending on my score, you know, it determines whether you get placed in certain schools. And so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the test again, and I'm really going to study and, and focus on it so I can get in the schools I want to get in. And so I did. I took a whole semester off, and I studied, and I studied, and I studied, and I was taking these practice tests. And in the practice test, I was scoring in the 90th percentile. So I was like, I was ready to roll, man. I'm, I'm going to U of M Medical School, or I'm going to go to Boston College. So I'm going to go to a good school, right? I felt super good. I took the test. I felt great about it. And six weeks to the day, you get the uh, results in the mail. And I couldn't wait for the mail to come. And sure enough, mail came. And uh, I get my letter, my results. I open it up, and I just, literally, I just stared at the results. I couldn't believe it. I was 0.10% less the second time that I took the test than the first time. And it absolutely rocked my world. I just thought my life was done. At this point in time, I did not know what purpose I had and I would not be standing before you here today as one of your pastors if that had not taken place. And so it is the God determining of our past and the memories that we build as a result of that that shapes our future. It is the things that you choose to cling to and the reasons why that will help you to understand who you are and what God is doing and his purposes in your life. It is like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, that, that we are to have the mind of Christ, thinking about life and experiences the way that he does and that he did. Even, even the cross, right? Christ was able to endure it because Christ understood the will of God and the purposes of God. He was able to see through that very dark and difficult time of suffering. And yet that event became memorialized for all of us. So friends, what I want to share with you today is the essential nature of remembering. And in what you choose to remember and why that's so important. And so you all are going to have milestones in your life. I'm, I'm older than most of you. And, and as I, I look back on... 25 years of ministry here at this wonderful church. I have these milestones that, that I see God showing up and God being faithful and God answering prayer. And between the milestones, I see difficulty and, and heartache and, and challenges and discouragement. And then God shows up and he gives me these milestones so that as I look back and I look at the milestones, I am not wayward in my future, but I can see the faithfulness of God as it is projecting me towards the end. But do you have those milestones? Are they clear? Do you have these spiritual memorials in your life that you look back to, especially when you're struggling and you can say, God, you showed up here and you showed up here and you are faithful here. The memories help us to interpret our present and our future. The point of Joshua 3 and 4 
is this. Our faithful obedience to the Lord's commands will produce milestones of God's mercy and faithfulness. Right? So when we are obedient by faith, God shows up and he gives us these memories, these milestones, if you would, that reveal his mercy and prove his faithfulness so that we can continue on. And God does this in a very dramatic way in Joshua chapter three and in chapter four. And I'm super excited to share these passages with you today. Let me read chapter three, the first five verses, and I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump in. So this is how Joshua records this miraculous event that happens under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites and they went as far as the Jordan and they stayed there before the crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and to follow it. But keep a distance, at least a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, help us on this Sunday to consecrate ourselves again, to recommit ourselves to the task of being obedient, of being faithful, and believing that you will show up and reveal yourself whenever necessary, that you will prove you're faithful to us again and again and again, because great is your faithfulness. And your mercies, they are new every morning. And so, Father, thank you that we can look to the past in the Bible and our past and be encouraged as to what lies ahead. Help us to be faithful as you are in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now, we are finally at this place in biblical history where the nation of Israel is encamped right on the edge of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan, <clears throat> overlooking Canaan, the promised land. And now comes the story where after 500 years of promise, the people of God are going to cross over. 500 years. It was about that long ago that God had found this man called Abram, and he told Abram to bring he and his wife Sarah from a place called Ur and travel hundreds of miles to this unknown place called Canaan. And when Abraham arrived there, God said to Abram, he said, just look around as far as you can see. See the river all the way to the sea, the mountains and the valleys, it's all yours. I'm giving you this land. And God made a covenant with Abraham, right? A divine promise. He said, Abraham, I'm gonna give you a people. I'm gonna give you great possessions. I'm going to protect you and I'm gonna preserve your name and he made this promise with Abraham 
but that promise would not be fulfilled for another 500 years. <laughs> Abram believed in the promise, and his life was changed because of his faith, even though in his lifetime it did not come to fruition. And then Abram had uh, a son named Isaac, and Isaac believed in the promise as well, but it didn't come in his lifetime, yet he believed. And then Isaac had Jacob, and, and Jacob believed along with his 12 sons, and they all believed in the promise as well. But unfortunately, uh, they found themselves now in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, which by the way, just happened to be God's will for them, and they suffered horribly for now centuries until God provided a man named Moses who came to redeem them from slavery and there was another crossing over this time the Red Sea in order for the Israelites to finally escape and be freed from slavery but then Moses leads the children of Israel in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years and Moses dies not being able to cross over Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, all these men of faith, and, and, and yet the promise was yet to be fulfilled until now, you see. Until now. Now was the time for a new generation of Israelites, children who had only known nomadic living, grown up in the wilderness, picking up manna off the ground every day, searching for water to drink, all they had ever known. And now it was a time for these children to claim the promise and go and capture the land that God had given to their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, who believed. That's what faith is. Faith is your absolute belief in the promises of God. You can't see it because it's yet to come. You can't see it, you can't know it fully because it hasn't happened. But because you know God and you know his character, you place faith in the promise. It's not in the future, it's in the, it's in the God of the future that you're placing faith in. And that's what Abram did. And that's what his sons did. And that's what faith is. Faith, according to the author of Hebrews, is believing in the reality of God and his promises. And just as God is real, then his promises are. Faith is believing in the reality that God will be faithful to you in the future. It is what we hope for even though we cannot see it. That's what makes it faith. And that's what God wants you to have. And, and what you do is you look back to the Bible and your life and you say, there's reasons for me to have faith. So even though I can't see the future, I live by faith and not by sight. And, and, and now it, it, it has come time, you see, for the nation of Israel finally to claim the promise. And so the instructions were given that they all find themselves encamped on the east side of the Jordan and the Israelites were told, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant move, that's a significant thing because you remember God told Moses to build a tent, call it a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, uh, this is where the presence of God would come down from heaven and meet the people of God. But it had to be enclosed and hidden 
in a most holy place because the people are unholy and God's holy. And so God says, here's, here's how this will work. <clears throat> Take this box and overlay it with gold and make it look like heaven's throne and put a couple of seraphim on each side and hide it in this most holy place. And when it's all there, I will descend down from heaven and I will make my presence known there in, in the middle place of, of that ark. And what you're going to have to do just once a year, that's the only time you're able to come in, the high priest will enter and take the shed blood of a sacrificial animal and you'll sprinkle it on the mercy seat of that ark. And I will receive that as payment for Israel's sins. And I will cover their sins once a year. The presence of God and the atoning work of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God all represented there in the Ark of the Covenant, that most important piece of furniture, that symbol, that memorial that shows that God is present. And Joshua said, when you see the ark, move, move with it. Don't get too close, you're still unholy. But move with the ark. And that was the instruction that was given to the people. And in verse six, then Joshua says to the priests, I need you to go and carry the ark of the covenant and go on ahead of the people. And they did that. They carried the Ark of the Covenant and they went ahead. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua. And there's, there's a, there's, see, so now we're having a replacement of leadership. It was Moses, now it's Joshua. And the way that God dealt with Moses is now the way he's going to deal with Joshua. In verse 7, he says, the Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Why? And not to make Joshua arrogant at all so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Joshua, now you're my man. And Joshua had been preparing for this for 40 years. As a very young man, he was the one who went halfway up Mount Sinai when no other Israelite was allowed to get near the mountain as Moses was receiving the law. Joshua was there. In every significant event in Moses' life, Joshua was there at the ready to serve, to help. He was mentored by Moses for 40 years. Now it paid off. He now was the man of God that Israel needed to take the helm and the leadership. And so Joshua, as the leader, now commands the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 8, he says, I want you to take the Ark all the way to the edge of the Jordan River, and I want you to wait right there. And Joshua then gave this instruction, verse 9, to the Israelites. He said, come close and listen to these words. These are the words of the Lord your God. And he says, you will know that the living God is among you. That's a really important statement. Because the Bible in the Old Testament, even in the New, wants to set apart our God from every other false God or not real God. And the way the Bible does that is by the word living. The living God. Or you could say the one true God. Where all other quote-unquote gods are not living. Well, if they're not living, they're not God, right? They're dead. So it's just the contrast Every worldview, every religion, every idol is dead. 
There's just one living God who reveals himself here. And, and Joshua is saying, now you're going to know that the living God is among you as compared to all of the dead gods that all of these people groups that live in Canaan, your land, are worshiping. And he says, I'm going to dis dispossess all of the Canaanite groups. And there's a long list of the different tribes that are listed there beginning with Canaanites and ending with Jebusites. The Jebusites occupied this really interesting uh, city up high on a mountain, Jebus, later called Jerus. And then Jerus was simply a place where God would declare a place of peace until a king showed up. And when the king showed up, you added Salem to Jerus and it became Jerusalem. And you got to drive these people out because this is your land that I'm giving you. And he says in verse 11, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the whole earth, that's interesting, right? The ark of the covenant of the Lord of Israel? No, no. You and I as well. Of the whole earth goes ahead of you in the Jordan. Choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. Verse 13 when the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of the whole earth come to rest in the Jordan water, its water will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand at a mass. And so the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. Verse 14, the priests carried the ark of the covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its bank throughout the harvest season. So it's springtime, and that's super important. Because what God is going to do is he's going to make this correlation between the crossing of the Jordan River and the crossing of the Red Sea. Crossing of the Red Sea became known as Passover. Passover. It's where God totally rearranged the calendar in the life of Israel. Brand new calendar, beginning with this month, is now the first month. Passover becomes the beginning and to this day, the Jewish calendar is, um, uh, uh, looks like this. And, 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 and so now it's Passover time, it's springtime, and now there's going to be the next crossing over. What's also interesting is springtime is when the Jordan River would really get engorged and, and, and become raging. Today they dammed it up and they've put water in all these different farms, but 3,000 years ago, uh, when the snow melted from Mount Hermon and came rushing down along with the spring rains, there was this deep ravine. It's actually lower than sea level that just became this raging river that would flow all the way into this place called the Dead Sea. And at, at springtime, was, it was impossible to cross. And, and that, that's why we needed the miracle, right? And so here's now several million Israelites standing on the precipice of the Jordan on the east side, ready to cross over and it's springtime and the river is raging. And Joshua says to the, uh, the priests, he says, step in. But you're holding the ark. Don't you dare drop that thing. That would be bad news for you. <laughs> step in. And by faith, they stepped in. And what, what God did then was the miracle. <clears throat> 
what he decided to do was way upstream, he dammed up the river, literally the same language that is used in the parting of the Red Sea, God walled up the water. And so he stops the water way upstream. And so these priests, they're stepping in and again, because they got to get to the middle and here's the water rising and rushing past them and it's getting, you know, ankle high, knee high, waist high. And they're like, oh goodness. But all of a sudden, the water starts to go lower and lower and lower. So by the time they get to the middle of the Jordan River, there's nothing but a trickle. And then soon after that, dry ground. Dry ground. And now it is time for all of Israel to walk over and cross the river. The, the, the crossing over the river now becomes this, this, this memory that we're talking about. There's so much rich symbolism to, to crossing over the river. The symbolism of, of where you were in the wilderness, in that place of, 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 of death. And the river in all its danger, like how can you get over? But when you cross over from death to life, when you cross over by faith into that which is promised to you, that language, that symbolism uh, became rich in the nation of Israel. And actually it became rich in our history as well. To cross over the river became a picture of dying in this old sinful world and entering into the promised rest of heaven. February will be Black History Month and one of the things I, I so appreciate are the uh, spiritual songs that were written by uh, enslaved African Americans who came to faith in Christ and, and lived this dire and difficult life and, and the way that they would communicate their faith is through singing. And if you pay attention to uh, the songs, uh, a number of them talk about crossing over the Jordan because they're singing about the desperation that they feel as enslaved peoples and the difficulty, but by faith, hoping in the promise of God, then maybe one day in their lifetime on earth, they would experience freedom. But even if not, no worries. <laughs> because one day they'll cross over the Jordan into heaven. As an old enslaved black pastor sang about, I'll meet you in the morning when you reach the promised land on the other side of the Jordan, for I am bound for the promised land. And he would sing it over and over and over. I'll meet you there in the morning when you've reached the promised land and we'll all go to the other side of the Jordan together, for we are bound for the promised land. The only way that someone who would have such difficulty in trial and challenge in life to believe that is to look back on God's faithfulness and by faith project their future, believing that God keeps his words. 
that he keeps his promises. And also, it becomes this firm belief that God has a will and his will cannot be thwarted. The sovereign will of God cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. Now, you can't change it, even though at times you want to. Because at times you don't like what God's doing in your life. And you try to change God's will. Try all you want. It will never, ever happen. It will never happen. Why? Because God's will is perfect. It doesn't matter if you don't understand that. And it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. Our God's will is perfect. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is being done in heaven. You have one good option when it comes to the will of God. Bow to it. Humble yourself before it. Your life may not be what you want it to be. When you get to heaven, you'll realize it was better. When you get to heaven, you'll be like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I didn't even know. I didn't even know the times you protected me. I didn't even know the times you loved me. I didn't even know the times you showed mercy to me. Humble yourself before it and, and let God show up. And my friends, when you do this, when you are faithful and obedient to the commands and promises of God, that's when you become useful to him. And we're going to see throughout the entire story of Joshua that God didn't need the abilities of Joshua or his army. Because remember, what Joshua said to the Israelites before they crossed over the river, the river is consecrate yourself. In other words, purify yourself. Make yourself holy. You'd think that Joshua would be like, all right, look, all the male soldiers, because now Joshua's got like several hundred thousand male soldiers. You'd think he'd be like, okay, guys, sharpen your swords. Clean, clean your shields. Get your armor on. As soon as we cross this river, it's on. And we're on the attack. Joshua didn't say, sharpen your swords. He said, consecrate your heart. God doesn't need your abilities. He just needs you to be holy. God doesn't need your accomplishments. He just wants you to be pure. God doesn't need your capability. He just wants you to confess your sin to him and seek his help, consecrate yourself, then you can become useful, then you can become obedient. And I'm telling you, when you are obedient by faith, you will see God show up and you will have these milestones that you look back on, these memories, that even in some of your darkest days, God revealed himself. Then we can remember God's mercies. And that's exactly what happened as we go to chapter four. 
So after the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe and command them. Take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing and carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men and has selected from uh, the Israelites, one man from each tribe. In other words, every Israelite is now acknowledged because of these tribal leaders. And he said, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, lift up a big old stone, put it on your shoulder, each for, uh, for each tribe of Israel, and, and then you bring it to me. And, and basically, uh, here's what happened. So the, the men go into the dry riverbed and the Levitical priest is still there holding the ark up and it's all dry. And they pick up these big river stones and they hoist them on their shoulder and they carry them across the Jordan into the promised land. And then Joshua, he goes into the middle of the Jordan River right by the ark and he takes 12 big old stones and he puts a pile up and creates a monument so that when the, the river becomes rushing past them again, you could see this pile of stones as a memorial of what God did on this day. And sure enough, when Joshua got done building that pile of stones and he went back on the promised side of the river, he told the, the Levitical priest, come on, bring the ark over so that God can lead the way. And he will. The next story is the conquering of Jericho. And it's all because the Ark of the Covenant will lead the way. The presence of God will lead the way. And so now with the Ark on the other side and the memorial in the middle, God just crashes the wall of water way upstream and here comes the water rushing again. But this time, God's people are on the right side of the river. Now they're in Canaan. And in verse 19 to the end summarizes it. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Right? This is just prior to Passover, right? Again, remember the connection. They camped at Gilgal, just this little city, Gilgal, would be like the bedroom community of Jericho. So now here's two, two million Israelites setting up camp and you can just imagine what the people of Jericho looking over their walls are doing. You can imagine what they're thinking at this point. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones that he had taken from the Jordan. And he, he built this memorial for a reason. This is what it says. In the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And this is so that, this is verse 24 is the, is, is the summary. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know. Not just Israelites. All the peoples of the earth may know 
that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. If I witness to somebody and I desperately want them to come to faith in Jesus like I have, if they never do, at least they know. God is faithful. His will cannot be thwarted. Ours is to proclaim. And even if the nations decide not to believe, not to place faith, they know that our living God has been faithful. He has proven himself time and time again. For us as the people of God, we know these things. We remember these things so that we will always remain in a fear and in awe of God. And so we have these these stones, you see. <coughs> we have this, this memorial, this, this monument that, that where God proved his faithfulness. And it's not the last time we will see that. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to see other memorials and other monuments that are established in the Old Testament. But it's just so unfortunate that that the nation of Israel refused to place saving faith in their God. The story of the Old Testament, in essence, is a kingdom without faith in their true king. And even though they had these memories and these memorials, they refused to act out in faith. And so... By the grace and the mercy of God, he sent his own son. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus gave us better memorials. More important memories. These memorials that, that, that we cling to, these symbols that remind us of God's faithfulness to us, and whereas Joshua had this pile of 12 stones, you see, what we have, brothers and sisters, is an empty cross and an empty tomb. Amen? Remember those. The empty cross. Where Christ came so that we don't have to keep slaughtering Passover lambs, Christ said, I'll be the Passover sacrifice. I'll be the mercy seat. I'll be the high priest. I'll be the temple. I'll provide the atoning sacrifice. And he dies on a cross. And that cross becomes a symbol for us that God is faithful. He fulfills his promise. And then Jesus' body is buried in a tomb and talk about a stone. There's a large stone that's rolled up to cover the tomb. But what happens in three days? You got it. That stone is moved away. An empty tomb. A memorial that God is faithful to his promise. Jesus has claimed victory over sin and death. And we carry these, these symbols, these memorials forever with us, a rugged cross and an empty tomb. And, and then these powerful symbols prove God's faithfulness to us. That's why Paul said to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. 
risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel. Is it your gospel? Is it? Friends, if these memorials haven't transformed your life, if you're not a Christian, then I can only imagine that at times you are in absolute chaos when your mind thinks to your future. I would be. I remember when I was. But if you would cling to what God has done through his son on the cross and because of the resurrection, friend, you have, you have anchors in your life. It doesn't matter how bad it gets, amen? You have those anchors. You have those memorials that you go back to. And you conclude, God, you're faithful. And indeed, your mercies are new every morning. And as Christians, we have these memorials of our faith ingrained in the pages of Scripture, but we also have an entire history that tells us of faithful men and women of God, where God proved his faithfulness even through their difficulties. Multitudes of martyrs who died believing that Jesus is Lord. Those who opposed them thought this is the way to exterminate Christianity by killing them all. All it did was catapult Christianity. Their dead faith now living in heaven, a memorial. The reformers who memorialized the doctrines that we hold dear to, and even as a church, even as, as Open Door Church, we have these memorials that we celebrate. Believer's baptism. When someone unites with Christ, buried in the waters like Christ's atoning death, raised to now in newness of life, uniting themselves with Christ, that milestone is something that you should never forget. You should often reflect on your baptism. And if you're a Christian, you need to get baptized if you haven't been. You need that milestone to look back to, to remember your confession, to remind you of God's faithfulness in your life. The Lord's Supper is a memorial we enjoy every month here. And we take time and we pause and we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. And now, friends, beyond that, beyond that. What I'm curious about are the memorial stones that you're laying down. What I'm curious about is, is, is what are the stones that you're laying down right now that you will look back to and say, I remember when I laid that stone down. I remember when I recommitted myself to God and to be faithful and obedient to him. I remember that commitment. And if you're married, if, if you have children, it is essential that you lay down stones, that your family sees you walking by faith so that when they are discouraged or struggling or weak, they can look to you and the milestones that you've laid down, 
This is what I'm trying to tell you. Joshua had his 12 stones. But the Bible tells you that you are a living stone. You are a memorial of God's faithfulness. This is how Peter says it, 1 Peter 2. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Be a stone of remembrance. May it be that others would look back at your life and find strength for their journey and their faith. And friends, it just simply all begins by pursuing holiness and being faithfully, faithfully obedient to the commands of God. Don't worry about your abilities. God will take care of that. You remain faithful. You remain obedient. Christ has done all that needs to be done. And God will allow you to be that living stone, a memorial of his faithfulness. Amen? Father, may it be, may it be that all of us would be these stones of remembrance, monuments of your mercy, all to the praise and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is to him we pray and now sing. Amen.